If you will, this morning, turn with me the Gospel of John, John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we'll start a reading there, 30th verse of John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it by a record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture uh, should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And another scripture saith, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as if we've saying praises to you. And Lord, I'm glad today that you're great. I'm glad that you're mighty. I'm glad today that you've always been and always will be. And Lord, this morning as I've confessed my sins before you and as I come straight to your throne of grace, I I ask you this morning that you would make something of me that I would decrease, that you might increase that I would be effortless as I stand behind your pulpit this morning, that, Lord, that you would use me in spite of myself to bring honor and glory to you through your word. And, Lord, I pray that I would be transformed, I would be changed by your word this morning, that I would love you more at the end of the sermon than I did when it started. So, Lord, we pray you in our presence. We pray that you would move in a great and mighty way. Lord, we pray that you would move in such a way that we can't even imagine to even pray for. That God, the Holy Spirit, would have his way in each and every heart, starting with me. That your name would be exalted. That we feel you move upon us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I ask it. Amen. Today I will confess to you that I am guilty of the death of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's hard stomach though, isn't it? Today, because of mankind and the flesh in which we live, uh, in our wicked hearts, uh, we hated and planned to kill the Son of God, and in our hearts have all, have did kill Him. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, Him being delivered by determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And again in Acts, Peter said they had killed the prince of life. 
And Acts again, chapter 5 says, Whom ye slew and hung upon a tree. Who you slew and then hung upon a tree. Well, didn't Jesus Christ die on the tree? Well, of course he did. But what's being said in that passage is, actually we killed him before we crucified him. We are guilty of his death long before Jesus Christ ever died. But yet in a sense, no one killed Jesus. He himself gave up the ghost. Jesus could not die without his own consent. Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And then when it came, uh, time came, Jesus said, finished. Teleestai, no one decided that but him and him alone. And he gave up the ghost. Now today, as I know that I have been guilty of the death and burial of Jesus Christ because of my faith in Him and repenting of my sins, asking Him to forgive me, today I am not held accountable any longer for that death. Today I have been set free and not accountable to it. Not because of who I am, but who Jesus says I am. You know, on the cross... There's some things that I want us to understand about the death of Jesus Christ. I mean, the very foundation, if we're going to believe what happened upon Calvary's tree, we're going to have to get some doctrine to us to know exactly what was happening there. Now, there's some things that I want you to understand about that. You remember Jesus Christ cries out at one part of this time, and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, here's the answer. It's because of our sin. All the sin of mankind was placed upon Jesus Christ. All the judgment of sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. Do you remember how you felt when you actually asked Jesus Christ to save you? remember that freedom that came, that relief that came during that? Do you remember that? Well, I'm going to tell you what happened. You see, Jesus Christ had already bore that. But Jesus Christ wasn't just bearing the sin of one because him being sinless, when he becomes sin, he took all the sin of all mankind for all times. And as he hung there, and it, uh, uh, you remember that weight that you had, Jesus died for all that weight. And once that price was paid, he said, Teleestai, actually translated, finished. Now that was when the price was paid and that veil of the temple was torn in two. And in doing that, when that earth, uh, uh, the veil tore and then an earthquake come and the earthquake didn't tear the veil, Jesus Christ tore the veil. And what had happened at that, Jesus Christ had fully opened it up for man to get to God. Jesus Christ is that bridge, the gap. But then Jesus uh, spoke to God again. This time Jesus said unto him, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. I want to explain that to you this morning. I want to explain something about that. Jesus Christ saying, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Was Jesus Christ surprised about what went on during this time? 
Have somewhere God deceived his only begotten into believing that he would not have to be crucified to pay the sin debt for mankind? Then why would he cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus Christ knew that he was going to die. We even see it in the garden. And so many people miss this when they uh, see Jesus Christ crying out, Lord, if this, uh, uh, if you can be, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. And people think that it's Jesus trying to get away from hanging on a cross. And they've missed the whole doctrine of it. Jesus Christ was not fooled about the sacrifice that he had to make. Although he done it of free will. Jesus Christ understood that what he was going to have to carry out. And people say, well, Jesus was trying to get out of the cross. No, he wasn't. No, what Jesus Christ dread of this cross that he was fixed to endure is that because man's sin would be poured upon him and the relationship... out my God my God why hast thou forsaken me why would he say that to teach you and I something this morning and it is this by the right of creation we all and every living thing uh, belongs to God by the right of creation it doesn't matter what any professor, it doesn't matter what anyone else will tell you. They, everything under heaven belongs to Him and in heaven. He is the creator of. But sin caused the separation between God and man when Jesus Christ became sin, when He became my sin and when He became your sin, God could no longer have fellowship with Him. Jesus is teaching us from Calvary's hill before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. All you could do before you asked Him to forgive you of your sins, all that you were able to do, you could not have fellowship with Him. You could only address Him as God the Creator. That's it. And today, there are many that will tell you, Oh, I believe in God. I believe that God is real. They've never went through Jesus Christ to have fellowship with him. Never went through Jesus Christ to gain fellowship with him. Once Jesus Christ cried out, Teleestai finished. That's when sin was paid for fully. Sin was fully paid for at that time by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Redeemer of a lost humanity. And praise God from uh, Golgotha's hill, Jesus teaches me now, now that sin has been defeated, now that the gap has been bridged between God and man, and now uh, Jesus Christ is that uh, bridge and he alone 
now because of what Jesus Christ has done, showing through the veil of that temple being torn in two, he shows me today that no longer do I just have to cry out to a God that is the creator of all things, but today I can cry out to a heavenly Father through Jesus Christ and my sin being paid for. Now there are those maybe here today that they believe in their lost state before ever asking Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins. They believe that they can go to God and they can talk to Him and they can pray and talk, have a, a fellowship with Him and have a conversation with Him. No, you cannot. It's doctrinally wrong. You say, well, hold up. You're telling me the lost can't talk to God? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You will have to go through the channel which is Jesus Christ, ask forgiveness of your sins, and then when He becomes your heavenly Father and there's no sin there, He will have fellowship with you. You say, well, that's pretty rough. Well, I'm going to tell you this. If God the Father, when the only begotten, that perfect Lamb of God was hanging upon Calvary's tree and when sin came upon Him and Jesus Christ took that sin and God turned His back on Jesus Christ because of your sin and my sin, don't ever think you can put yourself so high that God will look over your sin and let you come in when He forsook Jesus for it. can't happen. I didn't make the rule up. That's just what the Word says. But I'm going to also tell you something else, God's people, Calvary Baptist Church. If you are here today a blood-bought child of God and you have unconfessed sin in your life, the psalmist David wrote us something. of Jesus considering first that Christ must be took down from the cross why why has this got to happen oh it's the high Sabbath we got to get him down he's got to come down this is the high Sabbath the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders who demanded the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and watched him die now I want you to remember they were religious folks they were religious folks they did not mind crucifying the Son of God the Savior of the world but they must they must strictly observe all these ceremonial laws man we've got to get those things right we don't care that we just Sunday after Sunday active in the church they're not going to miss one service they're not going to miss one time that the doors open they'll follow all the rules they'll walk the walk talk the talk but have never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and asking him to save them they've never been justified I hope there's no one like that today in that lost condition but now these religious leaders they wanted their legs to be broke they wanted the ones on the crosses that day to have their legs broken. I'm going to tell you why. The reason why was because the high Sabbath's coming up. We've got to get these folks down. 
We got to get them down. They wanted this to be over with because they wanted them off the cross by sundown for that began that annual high Sabbath. And surely, surely, we couldn't have this great day defiled by a public display of these hated men with bloodied backs and flame wounds and tortured faces. Break their legs and get them down. You realize when Jesus Christ was crucified, it was the day of preparation for the Passover feast. It was the 14th day of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar, when every family in that nation were to kill a Passover lamb and prepare it for eating that evening. In Exodus chapter 12 through in, uh, to 18, chapter 18, you'll find that the Jewish nation had been observing this annual Passover feast for 1,500 years. Each family would kill its own Passover lamb in at mid-afternoon. The lamb would be roasted uh, whole and eaten that night in memory of that Passover night when the children of Israel came out of, Egypt, uh, out of Egypt. And it was looking forward to a coming Savior, God's Passover lamb, who would deliver uh, all who would trust in Him from the bondage of sin and Satan and death. I want to explain something the Jewish or the uh, Roman calendar and the, or the times that we're looking at on this. People say, well, now it says that Jesus died in the ninth hour. Well, I can tell you that is correct, but that's not nine o'clock. The Jewish people didn't count night as a day. It was night, but they didn't count it. So the day finished up at six o'clock, and it started again at six o'clock would be your next day. Jesus Christ at 12 o'clock was tried, the sixth hour. Six hours from six o'clock is 12 o'clock. The ninth hour, which is three o'clock, is when Jesus Christ died. Do you know what time that actually is, though? You know what actually that ninth hour, that three o'clock time? You know what that actually is? You see, Jesus Christ died at the very appointed time for the slaying of the Passover lambs throughout that nation. 1,500 years on that day at that time the sacrifice was always made and it was at the exact same time that Jesus Christ died. What a coincidence. He just nailed it on right on time after 1,500 years. Oh, they lucked up with that one, didn't they? No, praise God, it was divine intervention. Before the first Jew ever sacrificed the first lamb, the Lord already had a date and time that that perfect, endless sacrifice would come and die for a lost humanity. So let's consider next why Jesus' bones were not broken as the Jewish leaders intended. Look there in verse 32. And it came, uh, then came the soldiers, break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. If the legs of Jesus Christ would have been broken, he would not have been that promised Messiah. Because his death would not have been according to Scripture. And he would not be able to save anyone. 
in Exodus chapter 12 and Numbers chapter 19 gives us the details of what God commands about that Passover lamb. First, it must be a male lamb. It must be in its first year and it must be without spot or blemish. Exodus chapter 12 verse 46 says, Neither shall a bone be broken thereof. Jesus Christ being male, 33 years of age, the prime of his life, and he was a sinless Savior without spot and without blemish, and it qualified him to be that all-significant Savior that he is. And now, if they break his legs, he can't be that promised Passover lamb. And all of God's plan for saving this world through him would fail. I wonder how all of heaven held their breath as that Roman soldier came up to break the legs of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'll say this. What is the gospel by which you are saved? It's not just that Jesus Christ died for us. That's not all of it. It's not just that he died and rose again and is seated on the right hand of the Father. No, the gospel that Paul preached and we are told in the inspirational language of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 3 and 4 is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and he was buried and he arose again the third day according to the Scripture. John 19, 36, For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. So on the authority of God's word I can proclaim to you Not my opinion Not anyone else's or what they think But the fact of it is That today Jesus Christ is that crucified Lamb of God Jesus Christ was the one that carried out God's will According to the scripture Not one small detail didn't happen that God said would I can tell you today God knew how many rocks was on the hill of Golgotha that day because he commanded it and they were there. He knew the grains of sand that were there. He knew how many flies uh, a fly, uh, flew over and was blowing these beaten, horrible, bloodied bodies. And there was just that many there because God...
folks all over. You could probably go around my cell and you'll find those folks doing that very thing. You need to be real careful to who you listen to today. You need to be real careful in who you uh, set in front of as the Word of God's being opened. And I challenge you, you need to have your Bible open this morning. These people are always coming up and they say they have something new. As I've said before, if it's new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it isn't new. It'll be according to the Scripture. According to the Scripture. Now they're going to look upon whom they've pierced. If the soldiers came to Jesus Christ and Jesus was already dead, why in the world would they thrust a spear into his side? Boy, I have a simple answer on this, Brother John. God said so. I don't have to go any further. I don't have to uh, get in a seminary somewhere or listen to people with PhDs in theology to try to figure out why they put their uh, uh, spear into his side. I know. God said they would. Just that simple, and I can keep on going. We'll discuss something else. You know, we miss so much. We miss so many of the blessings of God when we pass thoughtlessly through any statement of his word. My prayer is that preachers and churches never forget to preach and proclaim the blood of Jesus Christ. Never forget it. The anti-Christian religion falsely called Christian science. One of their founders made a statement and said, the blood of Christ is no more effective when poured out at Calvary than when it was in the veins of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a lie. That's a terrible untruth. For the life was in the blood and for long centuries before it had been foretold by prophecy of the sacrifice that it must be blood. Blood must be poured out blood must be shed not blood in the veins but blood that shed can only cover man's sin in the garden it's laid out before us Adam sinned God knew that he had sinned Adam admitted to that sin and God killed an animal he skinned an animal put clothed them of the, of the animal skin and I'm going to tell you in that garden that day there wasn't a lion or nothing else walking around that didn't have any hide on him no God had to sacrifice he had to kill that animal and he took that hide and covered Adam so as the old songs proclaim what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what's going to make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And my favorite, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And I'm going to tell you today, the blood of Christ is offensive to many. Some will say, you know what, I don't want any of that old slaughterhouse religion. I don't want my children being exposed to that type stuff. 
I don't want my children to have nightmares about the shedding of blood and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but yet most times they don't have even a curfew and you let them stay on the streets as long as they want to. You can find an excuse for anything. But I'm going to tell you uh, today, many say, well, we don't want that. It's offensive to us. Let's take it out of our hymn books. We don't want anyone to ever come to church and be convicted and not feel good about themselves. You know, we have a deep uh, uh, psychological uh, problem in America today that people say, well, we just need to build self-esteem. Well, the way you do that, you don't ever tell anybody they're wrong. But oh, may it be always the praise of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. That it was by the blood in which I was saved. Today, my salvation is because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made for me and I know how he made it for me because I can see it carried out in his word according to the scripture and I'm saved today by the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ who became my sacrificial lamb and if that's not the way you think you're saved then you're not because there's only one way it's through the lamb and the sacrifice that was made for us God help us until our last drawing breath or then uh, or when we're raptured up, will we always praise Jesus forever. Forever. Never let me forget about the blood of Calvary. But then we see there's something in this that it, it talks about once they thrust this um, in verse 34 that the soldier came with a spear, pierced his side and uh, forthwith came there out blood and water. Blood and water. When I believe I got the blood, I believe I fully understand that blood there. But what's the water? What's the meaning of this water? Turn back with me about a few chapters here to chapter 7 of the book of John. I'm going to read something to you in chapter 7, verse 37. 737. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit which they uh, that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus Christ was not yet glorified. So what's this water now? This water is the promise of the indwellment of the Holy Spirit in your life once you receive Christ. That's what it is. But not just indwelled, but also the fullness and the power of God himself to be placed in your life. Now, when you receive Christ, once he has saved you, you see the Holy Spirit moves in. So don't get confused on this. You can't come to church and get more Holy Spirit than you got when you got saved. Just a fact of it. 
once you receive Christ, the, uh, God, the Holy Spirit moved in and He's drawing you constantly to Jesus Christ to make your life look like Christ, for you to act like Christ, for you to talk like Christ, and you to think like Jesus Christ. That's what He does. You see, there's a twofold meaning of Calvary as pictured in the Savior. John chapter 20, verse 19 says, There came uh, Jesus came to his disciples the same day he was risen from the dead and said, Peace be unto you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. You see, that's the peace of salvation. That sin has been forgiven. Brought by the blood poured out of the body of Christ. Then John 10 tells us, verse 10, I am come that you may have life, shedding of blood, comma, and that they might have it more abundantly. Do you see that twofold promise here? The first life. That you may have life. It's the promise that refers to salvation, being blood-bought, being redeemed. The second promise and they might have it more abundantly, comes from the water being poured from his side. Isaiah tells us, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thy offspring. Now I'm going to tell you today, you might can sit back and say, well, I know that I was saved and you can claim the blood today. But there are many of us today that can't claim the lifestyle of an abundance of life. There's many of us today, but we can't claim the power and the joy and the fullness and the fruitfulness because we're not living under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in the service and the will of the Lord. And life more abundantly is the birthright of every child of God. And today we have forfeited that birthright because somewhere along the line said, you know what, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to ask Jesus to save me. And that's exactly what happened. And then somewhere Satan has fooled you or allowed someone to drift you off into left field, which is being used of Satan. And you will not live under the guidance and the leadership and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And you'll live like the lost. And never experience the abundance of life that's a birthright to every child of God through the Holy Spirit's indwellment in our lives. And today many are living a conquered life that are blood-bought just because of our own lifestyle. So I ask you, you that are saved is the Holy Spirit moving in your life it's the Holy Spirit guiding you and you're doing the things that God's will demands of you if not you must repent and then if there's some here today that doesn't know that they've truly truly came to Christ and said, Lord, I know what I am, but also know who you are. And I'm calling upon you today to forgive me and save me.
through the blood. What will you decide? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. I thank you that you've given us a day to be a part of. Thank you that you love us to allow us to be a part of it. Lord, I'd not be so proudful to think that I could ever be here on my own. I believe uh, that we're taught, I believe with all my heart, the only reason I'm breathing right now is because you said that I could. You are God. And as we sing, you are great. So Lord, I turn this invitation time over to your capable hands that you do with it what you see fit. But Lord, I ask for you to do something miraculous. I want to see you do something that I couldn't even imagine. That I couldn't even come up with in my mind. That it would supersede anything that I could think. It's in the name of Jesus I ask it. Amen. Ask everyone to stand.